Today's message is titled, The Nearness of God. Acts 17 verses 22 to 34 is our text. We're in the first, or sorry, second missionary journey of Paul. He's accompanied primarily uh, by Silas and Timothy, and of course there's some other folks with him. But on this second journey, he revisited some of the churches that he planted on the first journey, and he's in this completely new area. And for the first time, he arrives in the city of Athens. We talked about that a bit last week, and we're going to continue with the message that he spoke on Mars Hill. Verse 22. And Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, and he said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is He served by human hands, as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And He made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and exist. And even some of your own poets have said, For we are also His offspring. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, We shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus and uh, Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Amen. We'll stop there. As I mentioned, this is the second missionary journey of Paul. He traveled all throughout that first area. Uh, where the f- churches were planted on the first journey. God closed the doors in Asia Minor, and he went directly to Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and we land in the city of Athens. We're in uh, a-, a cultural basin. We're talking about you would walk through the streets and see centuries, centuries of architecture, centuries of historical things, and you would really see a, a city that, that was not new. And this was Athens, right? And so Paul is traveling, and as he's walking about the city, he's kind of looking at, wait, this is my first time here, and he's seeing a bunch of new things. 
And something inside of him just urged him, as we read last week, that he needed to share the gospel. That he was opening up his mouth even before Silas and Timothy would accompany him. He starts preaching the gospel there in Athens. And he gets to this place called Mars Hill. The hill of the the god of Mars. And as he's standing on this particular platform, he's now surrounded by some curious folks. You know, some were genuinely curious, wanting to know, and others were like, ah, you know what, just get it off of your chest. Let me hear what you got to say. Not really interested in anything that would come from his mouth. And so with all of the people surrounding him, he begins to speak the message, starting from what he saw around him. Because men of Athens, I perceive you to be religious. I I look around and all around me I see that you are searching for something beyond yourself. Because I see over here an inscription to a God that you don't know the name of. And this God that you are worshipping that you don't know the name of, I actually want to tell you about that God. And he begins from the platform of the culture, from the religious stance from where they already were, and he begins to share a message about God, about Jesus. Right? There is a, a distinction that I'd like to share with you. And it's kind of along the lines of religion and what I want to pose to you as the foundation of Christianity. I grew up in a Christian home. My grandfather on my mother's side in the early 1900s, right, to the mid-1900s, was a pastor. My grandmother was a Sunday school teacher in the Pyongyang area of Korea before the Korean War. My father later became a pastor in his 40s. And so I come from 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 a line of pastors and the, the, the Christian message at least taking root a couple of generations above me. Right? But I myself, even though I grew up in a Christian home, I, I, I wasn't a Christian. I, I, I was anything but a lover of Jesus or a pursuer of God. And though my father was a pastor and I went to church on a weekly basis, I was a, I was a heathen. I was far from God. And it was only after I went into Bible college, I went into Bible college, not a Christian. It's weird that 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 happened, right? I just had no college to go to, and this college would accept me for some odd reason. And I went, and I began to invest into it. I surrounded myself, and I gave it a chance. And it was through one of the classes, actually, the Holy Spirit class in the second semester of my first year of Bible college, in which I really encountered God. And He became personal to me. And I decided personally that I wanted to follow him. And then subsequently, right after that, I decided I wanted to serve him. To live a life in service of ministry to God. And this all happened at the tail end of my second semester. That Holy Spirit class. right? And so, in terms of what Christianity is and what religion is, I I, kind of began to see a, a difference. And I began to see God... His relationship to me after I became a Christian and what I thought it was prior to becoming that. And let me give you at least a couple of distinctions. Let me say this at the outset. Religion, in a sense, is a pursuit of God. That when you think about the religions of the world, they are an attempt to climb up to God. 
right? We do it through prayer. We do it through fasting or meditation or seeking of sacred scriptures and writings. And through all of our study and all of our service, we are attempting for ourselves to be enlightened and to get to a higher plane of existence and to climb to God. This is what the the foundation of religion really is. It's trying to get to where God is at, wherever He may be found. But what I found after my life was invaded by Christ and by God is that Christianity, the foundation of it, was different. That what I found was that I was a 19-year-old kid sitting in a class and God was pursuing me. It wasn't me trying to become more holy. It wasn't me trying to, to know more about God and trying to do things through Bible college or all of these other things that I can do as a human to get closer to God so that He'd accept me. What I found was that He actually was knocking on my door, on my heart saying, will you let me in? Will you let me be a, a personal part of your life? I found that to be a fundamental difference of everything that I thought about God pre-19 years old and post. That I found that giving my life over to God was a response, not an initiation. God didn't accept me because I pursued Him. My pursuit of Him happened after I found out He was pursuing me. And it was a difference. And I want to communicate that because Paul is standing on Mars Hill and he's talking to folks and he's saying, I know religion is important to you. I know you've erected these statues and monuments and you've done all of this stuff in the culture and history of your city to pursue a God. But I want you to know that that is not the real foundation. And another thing that I like to say, kind of, that I'm talking about is man-initiated is what religion is, but it's God-initiated on what Paul is preaching. And also, from a religious standpoint, the focus is on serving God, doing things, right? Praying, fasting, giving, helping. And all of these actions are an attempt to get closer to God. But what I find that the focus of Christianity is not about serving God, it's about being with Him. It's about a dwelling, a fellowship, a connection first. It's about doing stuff as an outflow of connection, not doing stuff so that I get a connection. Can you see the difference there? And As this kind of lines up for you, I hope that what God speaks to you today and what He reinforces in your heart is that He was the one in pursuit of us. That He was the one initiating the contact. And what He wants from us is a relationship, not a a religious stance. Not something that I can do in service. And in a sense, I think religion can be dangerous. Right? And I say that with a, a slight caution, right? but it can be that even in the time of Jesus, he approached a culture that was highly religious. You read it all through the Gospels, you read anywhere from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and you'll find that he talked with people that were highly religious. right? And 
he spent the bulk of his time speaking with people that were, quote-unquote, in a sense, poor in spirit. When the masses would follow him because they either needed a healing or their stomachs were empty, he made it a point to minister to those who, who were uh, in affliction, had infirmities, needed healings or miracles or deliverance. And there were other folks that tried to get close to him, but in a sense, he, he kind of like turned his back. He kind of like put his hand out there because he knew that what was at the bottom of their hearts was twisted. Something was wrong. And it, that group was actually a religious group. You might know the name of what some of them were called Pharisees. It was a, a group of religious people that were leaders in the, in the Jewish religion that had a, a phenomenal understanding of Scripture that devoted themselves to teaching and to giving and to doing all of these things. And one time in his ministry, he began to speak a story, an object lesson. And he said, there were two people walking to a temple. One was a religious elite. He was a Pharisee. And the other was a tax collector, right? And in that day and age, tax collectors had a very, very dirty reputation because they were ones that used to just kind of skim money off, and they knew it. They would tax the poor. They would do things to put an extra dollar in their pocket at the expense of those who couldn't afford it. And so the tax collector was a person that had a very kind of like uh, a modern-day politician, maybe you want to think about that, right? It's, I know it's just a general blanket statement, but in a sense, the, the view of the tax collector was low. And so he gives this story. There was a Pharisee and a tax collector. They're both walking to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, Jesus says, stood up and he prayed, not to God. He says he prayed to himself. I thank you that I'm not like the others. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers. I, I fast, I, I give, and I do all of these things. And the other one, face down on the ground, couldn't even lift up his eyes, and he was beating his chest. God, have mercy on me. And as he's sharing this, he asks the question as the object lesson of this parable. Which one of you think went home justified? I tell you, it was the tax collector. And here you, you, you see something. I mean, you see the person from the outside that looks the part of a very good person. I mean, we're talking about someone who, who tithes and gives. We're talking about somebody who fasts multiple times a week and just does a lot of stuff that looks good and spiritual. But you can't see any motivation here, right? You can't see nothing underneath the curtain of the heart. And, and Jesus is uncovering that. And he's saying, actually, that guy, he's not praying to God. He's praying to himself. And all of the stuff that he did, actually God is not one to receive that. And so the service, all of the stuff to attempt to get closer to God, that is not the focus here. Jesus is talking about, I want you to see that this man, the one that's beating his chest, this guy is connected to God. He understands his origins and he knows what he needs. He needs salvation. He needs God to come and invade his life. He needs help from above. And it was that posture that Jesus was acknowledging. And this is the difference between religion and what Jesus was teaching. And I, I think we can get confused very easily in our lives because too often it's so easy to kind of default to a religious stance 
and to forget that what God is calling us to is something deeper. Paul is standing on Mars Hill preaching this message. And at the tail end of our passage, it says the majority of the folks didn't receive what Paul was saying that day, right? There were some, and he names a few of them, and there were some others. But the general gist of it is that not everybody was receptive of that message that day. And to me, it brings to light a verse in Hebrews. I don't know, we don't know that when those folks left that gathering on that hill that day, if at a subsequent time, something happened in their hearts and they received it. We don't know that. But what I can say is this, that today, in this moment, as you sit here right now, if you will hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. There will be opportunities to rectify, to reconcile, to be, uh, to be together again, to come closer, to be pursued by God. But in this moment, for whatever God is speaking to you right now, open your heart to it. Because in this moment, if it's not faith, if it's growth or maturity, if it's repentance, whatever that voice is of God, it is in this moment, not tomorrow or the day after, but today. Open yourself up to hear it. And Paul, he left Athens and he didn't return to Athens. He didn't go back there. Right? And so in this message, the nearness of God, I'll say two main points. The first is this. Faith is strong at the collision of God's nearness and farness. I see it as a suspension bridge, anchoring a chasm on both sides, holding up something for us to cross. And on one side is an understanding that God is close. And on the other side, it's an understanding that God is beyond. That's what I mean by farness. And so the, the group that was there, to a God that I don't know your name, I worship you. Paul is saying, I'll tell you his name. <laughs> I know his name is what he's saying, right? And so the foundation of that faith that you're worshiping something, okay, I can kind of admire that, but I want you to know that there's something deeper. And he introduces them to a God that came close. And I want to talk about these two aspects of nearness and farness. In the words, imminence and transcendence. Now, these are big theological words, and you don't got to get too wrapped up in that. But I want to say that imminence is about God being involved, right? He's involved in our lives because the philosophers of Athens that he was talking to, some of them were the Epicureans, right? And the Epicureans believed that God, there was a God that created the world, but he's uninvolved with the world. Right? Some people will say, it's just like a clock that he wound up and he let it just go. Right? I started it and then I'm just going to watch it now. Right? Disconnected. Creator, but disconnected. Okay? And so Paul is saying, I want you to know that it's in God that we live and breathe and exist. That this God is close to us. That he's not far off only. Right? 
But it is in the imminence of God, the closeness of God, the involvement of God, that we find an important anchor of faith. And also transcendence. What is trans- to transcend, right? When you transcend your sport, when you transcend your industry, it means you can get above it. You can see everything in scope of something larger. That's to transcend. Right? And so in a sense, when God is transcendent, it's meaning that He can see the world, history from beginning to end, and He's above it all. He sees it all. He says, yeah, that's exactly what I want. Right? And so the imminence and transcendence of God are both important in our faith. And why is that? Imminence fosters intimacy. Transcendence fosters humility. Right? When I believe that God is involved in my life, it allows me to stay connected, to speak to Him and know that He's listening. Transcendence understands that my life is just a small piece in a much bigger picture. I don't puff myself up. I don't give myself too much credit for stuff. And I understand that God initiated stuff. And without Him, actually everything was just going to fall apart. And so it is understanding and firmly holding to both that I can remain intimate, yet stay humble. This is an important thing. Another thing that happens is that in imminence, God is personal, but in transcendence, I believe that God is all-powerful. In imminence, I know that He's, quote-unquote, my friend. Because he's all-powerful, I cannot manipulate him. I don't twist his arm to do things for me. I'm not praying so that he can actually do something. I'm praying in a response of worship. And God does stuff in his all-powerful nature because he loves us, not because I twisted his arm. And it brings a balance to our life and our faith. Imminence says that God hears me. Transcendence says that God leads me. Uh, have you ever like, been in an unknown environment and had a guide? Somebody who like, was leading you, whether it was like a car, two cars going, the front car knew where you were going and you were just falling on the back car, or you're going through a busy place, a new city, whatever it is. Right? You kind of need both for a tour guide, don't you? Right? I mean, if, if you didn't have either side and you were a tour guide, I think you'd be a bad tour guide. I mean, think, like, or you're the lead car. Like, you know those lead cars that, like, are you actually looking? I got held up at a light. I, you didn't see me in the rear view mirror. And you didn't stay close enough. You were out front, but you didn't stay close enough. It's the tour guide that's like, wait, they're in the other room. Oh, wait, I, where'd everybody go? <laughs> right? You're just running, trying to, to catch up. So the guy, the one out in front, needs to be out in front, but you need to stay close enough. That proximity is important. And you need to have a balance in both. You need to be an earshot away, yet still be out in front. And imminence is when God is our personal Savior, but transcendence allows Him to be creator judge. See, the personal Savior is down on our level. It's... Exactly how I believe is good parenting, doing both of these, both sides. Good parenting to me is about getting down on the child's level and understanding that I'm not speaking down to you. I'm with you. Right? But good parenting is also being strong and leading out in front. It's a balance of both. 
that when you have a parent that's just, oh, you know what, hey, I'm your buddy, you know, let's just, if that's it, that's bad parenting. But if it's only discipline, only follow me or do it because I said so, that is also bad parenting. There are moments when I have to include, but there are moments when I have to tell. And it's understanding that balance. And I think it happens for good managers too. If you've ever worked with a good manager or you've been thought of as a good manager, it's probably because you understand the balance of this. There are moments where I need to have and establish a connection, but there are also moments where I need to have a clear-cut plan of where we're going and lead people there. And in our relationship with God, our faith is strongest, our life is most balanced when I have the tension of God's imminence and His transcendence firmly in my heart. Let me share a couple of passages or scriptures. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This to me is about transcendence. It's about understanding. (laughs) I I know He's my personal Savior, but wait a minute, I, I... I better not think I'm on par with Him. I better not think that I know better than Him. Because the posture of wisdom in life begins with a healthy fear of God. Of understanding that He will be the final judge of my life. Understanding that when He snaps a finger, things happen in my life. For however I interpret it on my perspective. And there's a sense of submission there. That's His transcendence to me. And it's the beginning of wisdom in life. But there's also a verse, let me say, in Psalm 73. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. And here I see the personal nature. And how it's not just for God's good for Him to come close, but it's for my good. And I know that he's a refuge. What is a refuge? A refuge is a shelter. It is a place of protection that I go into, right? A refuge is no good if it's distant. I need to be inside of it, with it. It needs to be, enclose me, encompass me, protect me. And he's saying, God, when you are close to me, it's so good. You're a refuge that I seek shelter and I come underneath your wings. I am that chick underneath the wings of you. I need you to to guide and and help me. That's His imminence. But let me share a verse that brings it together. This is a Psalm of David recorded in 2 Samuel. He's sent from on high. That's transcendence, right? Like God is above the clouds. He's above the stratosphere, right? When you get from atmosphere to space and you get beyond that, that's where God dwells, right? The the continuum in which there is no restraints of time or physical space. That's where God dwells. And he's saying in this psalm, you sent from on high, from that place that I cannot even tell or grasp, from that place you sent. And you took me. And you drew me out of many waters. The imagery is of of a person struggling and flailing for life, drowning in water. And there out of the sky, out of nowhere comes this presence in this hand, these arms that come down into the water and draws a person out. And there you see the balance of both. You see a God that dwells on high, but you see a God that comes into the life of a person, into the situation, into the hurt, into the struggle, and is right there touching, drawing out. 
And this is the balance of the, of the faith and life that we need. Because it is at this collision that my faith is strongest. Second, our faith and worship must not depend on man-made things. Paul is on Mars Hill and he's saying, hey, guys, you worship a God that you don't know his name. You have these objects of gold and silver and stone that you've made and cut so masterfully. But I want you to know that God does not dwell in temples to be served by human hands. He doesn't need to be served by our hands. We are his offspring. And as his offspring, he is not to be confined by these metals and stones, these objects of worship. He is beyond that. We live and dwell in him. And it is this connection apart from those things which brings strength to our worship meaning to our faith. And he's preaching this message. Don't get stuck on the vehicle, on the instrument. Understand that there's something behind it, more important. That on the surface, it's so easy to get focused on the man-made stuff, right? Like when the worship and the music is there, like I can sing, right? When there is a physical structure, I know where to gather. And often our worship of God can be strong in our eyes when we feel the, the music is good, the preaching is good or decent. And when all of the stuff on a surface level is to par or meets our satisfaction, that's when we're finally, okay, yeah, like I'm worshiping, right? But the worship and faith that we have in God must not be a focal point on those things. Those are important they are instruments and avenues in which we can get closer to God, but they must not be primary. They are secondary, third tier. They are the things that are subsequent, not the main. And I think often we get stuck on the man-made stuff. Often, I think even in our relationships, we get stuck, right? It's like uh, when you have a relationship and you, know, like you can give gifts or do acts of service, and you're like, yeah, our, our relationship is strong, right? And when those fade, you're like, oh man, what happened? And I think even in those ways, we can confuse ourselves to understanding, wait a minute, those gifts and acts of service were representations of a deeper love. And that love can manifest itself in different ways. And I need to get beyond the surface and get deeper in a place of relationship in order for that to be healthy. I think we can understand that on that level. It's the same with our relationship and worship of God. That it must not be only when the music is bumping and good. It must not only be when we're laughing and joking and having a great time in faith. But also in the moments of difficulty, of struggle, of doubt, that there is something beyond the mad-made stuff and where God comes into our lives and He speaks. Sometimes He shouts sometimes he whispers but it's in both voices that our worship can still be present that it must not fixate on the external the buildings the instruments the liturgy for as Matthew 22 says in verse 37 you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind Paul wrote in Philippians 3.3, For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus 
and we put no confidence in the flesh. How often do we put confidence in our flesh, like, you know, our abilities, our experiences, our accolades, what we've done, and that we put out there, yeah. Like, I feel good about going into this interview. I feel good about this. I, I feel good about my stance before God because I've done this. I've, 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 I, I, I gave an offering this week. I worshiped this week. I listened this week. I sang songs this week. And we put that up front and say, God, you must accept me. You must feel good about me. And often, the stuff that we do in the flesh, we put it out there and say, yeah, I feel good about myself now. But Paul is saying, actually, when we worship in truth, we should put no confidence in those things. Paul is saying to the Athenians, it's not about the temple. It's not about the objects or the structures or the statues. That it's much deeper. And he speaks such an important message here in this city. Let me bring things to a close as praise team, you guys come back. To, to recap our message today, I'll say firstly, don't confine your worship of God to a location or instrument slash object. Right? It's like I worship on Sundays. I, uh, I devote myself in QT, quiet time or devotion, at certain phases or when I have a certain book in front of me. Uh, great. Those are avenues in which we can dive in. But don't confine it to that. That our life in its totality must be a worship to God. In all that we do. In the workplace, in the home, or at church. And lastly, remember to walk with God throughout your day. Right? Not just in moments when like a pastor or a praise team is leading in a song. But walk with God throughout our, our days. When I'm getting ready, when I'm in the car, when I'm in a tense moment at work, when I got a, a project just breathing down my throat, when I got a deadline or timeline, when I'm facing a disappointment or disaster, when I'm trying to deal with a loss or depression, when I'm trying to understand the, the moment of this joy and, and great satisfaction on every peak in every valley, God's there. When I'm singing a song in exuberant exaltation, God is there. When I'm crying by myself in a corner, God is there. When I'm surrounded by dozens of people in the workspace, God is there. When I'm by myself in the shower, God is there. When I'm reading the Bible, God is there. When I'm flipping through a magazine, God is there. When I'm surfing the internet, when I'm at a coffee shop, when I'm looking out the window or looking at the ground, when I'm staring up, we're completely blinded. God is there. Like all of those moments that we can think of, Paul is saying our breath, our life, our existence is actually in God. It's like we're just perpetually, like as if he was the oxygen around us. No matter where we go, he's there. 
you jump in water. It's just like wherever you swim, you're touching him. He's surrounding you. He's there. Like everywhere. And that's what brings peace. That's what brings courage. That's what brings wisdom. So I want to remind us, wherever we go, throughout, not in just key moments, throughout, let's walk with God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen.